Hi there. Welcome to Finding Space with Alex Tyson, the show that celebrates the everyday legends who put in the hard work to become who they want to be and live the life they want to live. For people who understand that when we practice compassion and find wisdom within ourselves, we find success and happiness. Join me in hearing amazing stories from everyday individuals who have found incredible personal and professional growth through varied and, at times, wild methods of self-improvement and self-responsibility. And through their unique perspectives and work, have gone on to better the lives of those around them. From nurturing health to growing your wealth or enjoying the present to crafting your future, no aspect of life is off topic. And hey guys, just a quick note that we recorded this podcast before we rebranded our company from iHealth Saunas to Found Space. So if you hear any references of iHealth Saunas, that's why. Today, I'm sweating it out with Elise Perry. Elise plays in the Australian women's cricket team and is currently the top ranked women's cricket all-rounder in the world. Elise has received a number of accolades, including being named ICC Women's Cricketer of the Year in 2017 and 2019 and three times winning Australia's prestigious Women's International Cricketer of the Year Award in 2016, 2018, and 2020. In this podcast, we talk about Elisa's childhood and her aversion to playing individual sports, the ups and downs of chasing perfection, prepping and recovering from games, listening to the body and following intuition, balancing the strategy with the art form of playing sport, and much more. This podcast was recorded just prior to the Aussie women's cricket team playing against New Zealand in New Zealand. So here's hoping they go well. And so I give you Elise Perry. Elise, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me, Alex. I'm really looking forward to it. I, uh, I suspect this is good for you because you're uh, in New Zealand at the moment and uh, you're in quarantine, right? So it gives you something to do. Yeah, you're totally totally right there. Um, been been in quarantine for the last twelve days, I think. So um, yeah, it's nice to nice to chat to someone from the outside world. Firstly, and um, good to have something to do as well. Although I must admit, um, I'm here with with the team um, that I play for, and we've got a series coming up over here. So we've sort of been quite lucky in the sense that we still get to go out and uh, train train most days and um, get a bit of fresh air and um, at least interact with other people at various times. So it's not all bad. <laughs> how, uh, how long are you allowed out for? Um, training sort of like 10 till 2 most days. Um, so, yeah, it's not a bad stint. What's that, four hours? Yeah, that's that's pretty good. That's Are, are there windows in your room? Like, can you get any fresh air there? Yeah, I've got a, a big window that I've sort of had cracked open the whole time. Um, and it's actually been getting it quite chilly at night. Um, so I've sort of been walking around my room with like a big puffer jacket on and a beanie, but um, the fresh air is really nice. And um, it's such a beautiful country in New Zealand. So um, we're in Christchurch and um, it's pretty quiet and um, pretty peaceful in a way too. I've been, um, I've actually been really productive in a lot of respects with just general life admin and staying on top of like, um, my routine in the morning and stuff because there hasn't been too many other distractions so that's been good yeah i guess in some ways it's kind of a blessing to allow you to focus on some of those things that perhaps get missed in normal day-to-day life uh yeah no it it's given me um a little bit of i suppose pause for thought um once i'm i'm out of quarantine because um in a like you know in a weird way i've sort of actually established a, a little routine that I, i've really enjoyed and um 
you know, I've actually noticed it's probably made quite a difference just in how I'm feeling generally um, from a physical perspective at training each day because um, I've got a little bit more time and far less distractions to, to not have a, you know, a second stretch for the day or do some uh, mobility exercises or, um, or actually just sleep a good, a full, like, you know, eight, eight plus hours because there's not much else to do. So, um, yeah, it's kind of like being the perfect preparation to play play sport. Um, as I said, it probably just misses a bit of balance with interacting with the outside world. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. What's the kind of protocol that you you guys are going through at the moment? I mean, you're, you're training 10 till 2, but then stretching a couple times a day. What are you, what are you kind of getting done? Yeah, um, well, I think all of us are a little bit different. Um, I know there's been some premium viewing on on Netflix and and other streaming services for some of the girls, Um, but I probably, um, on an individual basis, get a little bit um, restless and, and, like, itchy feet if I'm sitting around too much during the day especially. So, um, yeah, in the end, I've actually kind of managed to to get a good little routine going, um, sort of get up reasonably early and um, have a stretch and, and do some mobility and then um, have brekkie before we head off to, to training and then come back and we'll have some lunch and then um, have another stretch and maybe do a bit of a, a bike conditioning session or something because I've got a got an exercise bike in my room, um, which we've all been supplied with, although... Oh, yeah, it's quite funny though because um, it's not the the smoothest operating um, spin bike I've ever come across, and it makes like these horrific noises because I think it needs a bit of WD forty. So um, you can hear when anyone's on it, which is kind of funny. But um, yeah, so that's been good. And then um, sort of just wind down from the for the evening, and um, got a couple of candles in my room, and just little things to to make it feel a bit peaceful, which is nice. Mm. Yeah, nice. Last year I was in quarantine in uh, Brisbane. I moved up here and uh, we we packed our water filter into our case. So like when we got into the room, we opened up our case and set the water filter up and put it on the shower head. It's like the important stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, but that's it, right? I think any little touches that make you feel, um, you know, like you're at home or in spaces that you like being in, um, pretty good for keeping you centered I think so um you know quarantine aside I think whenever I'm traveling I always like to have little things like candles and um like my speaker and um things like that to to kind of keep me um keep me grounded Mm. yeah nice so um you've you've traveled the world playing playing cricket for Australia and various other sports and uh I imagine you've uh had some intense training sessions, but I'm, I'm curious to know what's the sweatiest you've ever been? <laughs> um, besides like any public speaking event. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nervous. Um, I think, um, yeah, definitely a few tour tours to, um, to like, uh, India or, um, Malaysia and, and really hot, humid places like that. Um, when you, when you're playing cricket and you're sort of in the middle of the day and um, you got to wear all the various bits of equipment as well um, that come along with, with playing the sport. Um, there's been some pretty sweaty days over there, for sure. Have you ever, like, dropped the ball because your hands are too sweaty or is that just something that would happen if you're on stage? <laughs> um, 
No, I can't. I wish I could blame it on having sweaty hands when I've dropped dropped the ball. But um, I actually have this weird routine, um, especially when I'm bowling, because you know, I, if your hands get a bit sweaty, I, I sort of rub my hands in the dirt between every ball just to, to put a bit of like grip on on my um, on my fingers. So um, nah, not not that sweaty that I've dropped the ball, but um, yeah, and sometimes it sort of gets in your eye, and it's hard to see when you when you look up and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. Um, you've achieved a lot of success over your career. Um, you know, some of the headlines are pretty pretty fascinating. Um, and it really just interests me seeing and, and getting to talk to super successful people like yourself because, you know, you're in New Zealand now. You're training four hours a day with the rest of the team. Um, and you're doing that part of it. However, something separates you and other successful people, like from the ultra successful people to people who are just doing well. And I'm curious, you know, I read a book last year called The Talent Code by Daniel Boyle, and he talks about these certain areas or places where you go in the world where they just churn out world-class athletes or world-class chess players. And he talked about the idea that it's actually the way that they train and the way that they learn, which actually allows them to be super competent. Um, you know, th- that idea that we're not really born with it, right? We're, we're a product of our environment. And if we're in the right environment and if we follow, you know, certain, certain processes that we, we can achieve amazing things. Did you kind of consciously have a process when you were younger to... I guess, get you to where you are now? Did you always have that as a goal? Or was it more just like, yeah, I like playing cricket and soccer's pretty good and I'll give it a go? <laughs> um, yeah, I think, um, well, yeah, to answer the second part of that question first, um, you know, as a kid, I just, like most Aussie kids probably, grew up, um, you know, with a pretty sporty family. Mum and dad both played a lot of sport when they were, they were younger. I've got an older brother who was like, you know, into sport, love being outdoors. And I'd say like, you know, 90% of our free time we spent, you know, in the backyard, down at the local park, throwing balls, catching balls, kicking balls, jumping, climbing, like just all the normal things that, you know, I think kids do. And um, I certainly had a, a natural affinity to the outdoors, but but also was really influenced by, you know, my family life. And, um, and that just translated into a love for sport and and being active and um you know I played lots of different sports when I was a kid um sort of had to go at everything um but you know innately I I gravitated very much towards like team sports I used to absolutely dread going to little athletics as a kid or the swimming carnival or playing tennis um by myself because I just yeah I found it a really um intimidating environment sort of being um you know, on your own doing things. Whereas I loved, I love playing team sports and interacting with other people, and I guess working towards a common goal. So, um, yeah, I just, I just played lots and lots of it. Um, I never really, you know, I guess, cognitively had a goal to play, play, um, play sport professionally or or for Australia. Um, but I, I think, and I suppose moving into the second part of that question is. 
the one thing that I've always like loved and has probably motivated me more than anything is like the continual quest to be able to do things better and um you know the challenge of continuing to evolve and um I guess in a way chase perfection um albeit I think that's pretty futile because you probably never ever get there but um but and and in any one moment in time there might be a specific goal that that's going to take you a little bit closer to achieving um perfection I think that that always lures me in um and so um yeah it gives you a means to to train to train hard or to work hard but also like keep questioning how you're doing things why you're doing them and is there a different way or probably more importantly is there a better way to do it is that an internal process that you work through or do you work closely with your team on those kind of greater goals and improvements? Um, I think it's both. Um, you know, the, the great thing about a team is everyone's so different and everyone operates so differently. And, um, you know, I probably um, think that in a way to the, the best way to contribute to a team um, from a performance point of view, it is to do absolutely everything you can to be as good as you can, um, because ultimately, I suppose, then you're contributing, um, you know, the best that you can to the team. Um, and in a way, um, yeah, you've got full control over that. Um, I kind of always think like no one can work harder for you than you. Um, that's just like the fact of it. So. Um, there's that element to it and I uh, you know I really love that side of it I love um the drive of of kind of keep pushing um and then it's a little bit more I suppose um of an art with within a team of then everyone being on the same page in one way or another and and working towards a goal and um yeah I guess a path of development as a group but that's a lot more um loose I think and and you know you don't have as much control over that certainly as an individual but even as a group you sort of got to continually adapt and adjust to to the dynamics and know that you know things don't (laughs) probably much harder to plan out um so yeah I think there's two elements and um when you can combine the two really well I think that's when you've got um got a really successful team I suppose and and the results are are good And where does the current uh, female Australian cricket team sit at the moment in terms of those things? Are you guys at the precipice of achieving some great heights or is there a lot of work to be done? Uh, no, we, yeah, we've, um, we've been really fortunate, um, I suppose, throughout the history of um, Australian women's cricket, very similar to, to, you know, the men's team. We've had um, a lot of success over the years and, um you know, it is in a lot of respects our national sport and, um, you know, there's some great history there and a lot of wonderful players. And um, so there, there's sort of that. And then interestingly, like I think um, it's the most amazing time in in women's sporting history, particularly in Australia, um, which has sort of promoted this incredible growth and development um, of, of the sport, both for the athletes and, and, and teams, um, but also, you know, for fans and, and engagement in, in the sport itself. So, um, you know, for, for us, we've sort of been really fortunate to continue to play pretty well. And, um, 
we've had some really great resources and investments sort of put into the team, especially in the last, you know, three or four years. And um, we've got a, a great current crop of players who have sort of been together for a while. So, um, yeah, we, we've sort of done some, some really cool things and that's been great to be a part of that. And um, I think more excitingly, though, is probably this sort of em- emphasis on on hopefully taking things a bit further given given the opportunity that we've got at the minute. Mm. Yeah, the um, the explosion of female sport over the last, what, three years, four years, it's just been amazing. <laughs> yeah, it really has. Um, yeah, across lots of sports too. Um, and um, I think on a global front, like Australia is very much at the forefront of that. And, um, yeah, it's just been wonderful, I think, the opportunity that it's given to so many female athletes across lots of different um, spaces has been um, been incredible. And, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's probably going to slow down just yet. I think there's some, some really great opportunities for that to continue to grow and develop. But, um, yeah, in terms of a time to be involved, I think, you know, the current group of players just feel very fortunate that, that we're around at the moment, that's for sure. I feel like you're a bit of a, a symbol in in women's sport as well as you know your success has been amazing and um you just it's at the exact right time like you said you know to really show like hey it's, it's possible <laughs> women can kick ass <laughs> oftentimes more than the blokes <laughs> <laughs> uh we do okay i think yeah the, the timing of things um yeah, sports a lot about that. Um, yeah, there's timing and there's a timing and luck element, and then I guess there's the other element, which is sort of like working hard and, and doing what you can when you get a good opportunity. But um, yeah, I mean, you sort of like we've obviously maintained contact with like past players, and you know, I've played with quite a lot of them, given I've been around for a little while, and you know, um, comparatively where the team's at and you know what we're what we're sort of afforded in terms of you know wages and um opportunities to play around the world and tour and stay in great hotels and fly nice planes and all those kinds of things um is incredible and you know that was very distinctly different 10 years ago um and you know just by pure luck is it that it's our turn to have a go at it but um yeah it's been uh it's been very very cool Mm. Um, if we jump back a little bit, how did you come to the decision of of choosing cricket in the end, right? Because you had you had a decision to make all those years ago, um, and it's not a small decision either. And when I was kind of when I was getting to know you, uh, you know, I, I really resonated with that because I see times in my life when. It, like there's a big decision that needs to be made and um, oftentimes in life we can postpone that decision or maybe not, you know, um, not make that decision in time and just kind of, I guess, beat around the bush for lack of a better expression. How did you kind of work your way through that and and choose cricket in the end? (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, I I think... um I mean, it was a great decision to have, um, firstly, like um, having having to choose, um, you know, between two sports that I absolutely love playing um, and the, I guess the reason um, it sort of became um, a decision where I had to, had to only play one is because both had um, developed enough to a point where um, 
you know, the time commitment and, um, yeah, also like I guess the fi- financial sort of remunerational contract side of things was at a point where it very much was a full-time pursuit rather than, you know, a part-time or semi-professional um, type thing. So, um, yeah, that was that was probably like five or six years into me playing both sports at, um, you know, at a, an elite level that um, – that sort of came about and I suppose, you know, through that, that progress, um, I was really aware that at some point it was going to um, reach that crossroads, I suppose. And, um, you know, I always saw that as like a really exciting thing because it meant that at some point I was going to be, um, well, I and, and, you know, all, all my teammates were going to be full-time professional athletes. Um, and you know, that as a prospect, um, you know, it was really exciting and, and um, something that I'd always wanted to do. So to, you know, get that chance to devote yourself um, and all your energy and output entirely into to one sport and trying to see how far you can go with it was was always going to be a great second option, I guess, to playing both sports. So, yeah, as I said, it was it was a really good decision to have to make in a lot of ways. It wasn't a, wasn't a sad one. Um, it was still hard, but um, I guess fortunately too it sort of played out naturally for me where cricket evolved a little bit quicker and became full-time first um I think for whatever reason from like a both a an athletic but also like personal or personality point of view I just always felt a little bit more at home and at, at cricket um so yeah it sort of wasn't a huge decision and it wasn't sort of just like one day that was it I called it and I never turned up at, at soccer again. Um, it was just more so just sort of naturally progressed to, to spending more and more time at cricket to the point where it just wasn't feasible to spend any time at soccer. And and that's where I just played the one sport. But, um, yeah, to your sport, to your point about decision-making and sitting on the fence, I think, um, you know, the decisions are very varied and some are a lot harder than others. But um, I think deep down we often have a really – strong gut feel for for where we want to go but there's so many complicating layers on top of that that you have to wade through sometimes to actually be able to go with with that gut feel or, or follow your heart so to speak but um yeah it's not always it you know you can um fret over it a lot or it can be quite a an anxious process trying to work through that and it's not always that fun yeah, I find oftentimes you you have your gut feeling but then you feel like you need to do the due diligence so you yeah. Like lists out and you talk to everyone about it <laughs> yeah exactly um and like i mean i'm probably a serial delayer of making most decisions in my life and um sometimes that inhibits things but other times i, I think well once you actually go through that process and as you say do your uh, due diligence then ultimately you're much more comfortable with the decision you make and then you can really sort of um i guess crack on with whatever it is that you've decided as well yeah, that's right. There's a there's a process of letting go of what the other option was, and once you go, you really have that freedom and more more time to to pursue whatever it is you've chosen. Totally. Mm. Um, do you ever have a gut feel when you're deciding where to bowl the ball next? <laughs> Pretty sure this is where it needs to go, but my my training says I need to go there. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly an intuitive part of sport, and like I guess that real like. Um, almost that art the science um, argument as well. And um, on good days, like, yeah, you just kind of get a really good feel for it. And it's almost like you're not thinking, your body's just um, 
just moving the way it should be and, and you're just there for the ride and then um, other days it's a real strain and, you know, you sort of go through this um, painstaking process of trying to make the right call and go the right way and, make, you know, compete um, against whoever's down the other end. So, um, yeah, there's, a, there's probably a bit of like a scale between those two so those two feelings and um, just depends. Are there any uh, are there any um, bats women bats women that you um, that you're bowling towards anything? But you're a bit like scared of. Like, oh, this <laughs> really good. Um, oh, there's plenty. Yeah, yeah, and on, and on any given day, um, if it's someone's day, I think um, yeah, it's normally a pretty daunting task. <laughs> <laughs> now, I imagine it's the same when you're batting, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, totally. Um, and it's nice to do both in the game, I think, um, because at least you get a shot at both. <laughs> if one doesn't come off, you can sort of let it rely on the other one to hopefully make a contribution. <laughs> I suspect that wasn't your uh, your intention as to both batting and bowling. Um, <laughs> in case you cock one up, you can... Uh, no, probably not. It's a bit of a byproduct of doing both. Um, you sort of have that as a something in your in your back pocket as a bit of safety. But um, no, I, I think um, I just like like being involved and and don't really like sitting down too much. So um, yeah, you've got to do both in cricket. Otherwise, you can spend a bit of time sitting down. <laughs> True that. Um, so, what does your prep look like on on game day, mentally and physically? How do you get yourself ready? Um, yeah, well, it probably depends a little bit on um, from the time of the match and, and what format. But, you know, if we're playing sort of later in the evening or afternoon, um, I normally sort of get up and um, have a good stretch and then go for a walk and um, just get outdoors and in the fresh air and then um, come back and have brekkie and um, hang out for a bit. And then um, at some point I'll, uh, I'll grab my notebook and um, write down just a few thoughts about like the game and, um, you know, the way up, you know, you kind of want things to pan out or little reminders of, of different things that you've done during the week at training to make sure that, um, you know, you take that into the game. Um, and I suppose also like little confidence boosters as well in terms of like just reminding yourself of the prep that you've done and, um, you know, what you know you can, can do out in the field. So I sort of do that and then probably have another another meal um, a bit later in the afternoon, probably like, you know, if we've got a game at seven, I might have like a, a later lunch at three or four and then um, head to the ground and and sort of see what happens from there, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, do you purposely try and eat a few hours beforehand so you're not on a full stomach? Um. Yeah, I mean, yes, uh, like I kind of like to um, try and listen as much as I can to to what um, I suppose my body is telling me to, like if I'm hungry or not. Um, but, yeah, like I, I kind of like to have a meal not too close to the game just so like I know it's probably completely wrong, but like just so that your body's like settled and, and um, I suppose digested that food and then can focus all its attention and energy onto whatever physical task you're doing too. No, I don't think that's completely wrong. I think that's complete sense. <laughs> it takes more energy than anything else. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, gosh, just the other day I ate a bunch of grapes and then went for a, like a jog and I was like, oh, this is just a horrible idea. <laughs> grapes are the worst. They, they, 
I think because there's so much fluid in them, they just sit terribly, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they, they were sitting well and truly. Um, they were almost, yeah, not, they were almost coming out. Um, but no, no, that's interesting. And what, um, I'm curious, like, what are you typically eating in the afternoon in, in prep for a game? Um, yeah, it probably depends a little bit on what I've had for, for brekkie, but um, yeah, like a, it's a bit of like fresh fresh sort of veggies and, and salad, um, you know, maybe with a slice or two of, of bread, like some sourdough and like some avocado and, um, you know, sort of stuff to, to fill me up a bit so I feel um, satiated before the game and then um, maybe even like just like a small smoothie or something as well and then um, I feel like that or, or almost always gets me through a whole game so I don't, don't feel like I need to eat again. Are there um, in the team? Are there some people with some interesting choices of food and diet? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it always intrigues me. I think food is such a personal, um, <laughs> personal uh, thing, and um, it's it's amazing how much the conversation at on the bench, particularly at cricket, turns to food um, and how much people talk about it. But, yeah, there is some, some really different different thoughts about it. Um, I, I think these days, though, there, there's a lot of work and um, education that sort of occurs with a dietitian or nutritionist, um, you know, around around training prep and matches and even the food that's supplied if you, if you want to eat at the ground um, is pretty like stringent in terms of, um, you know, aiding performance. So um, there's nothing too silly. Like I've definitely done the old school peanut butter and banana on bread quite a lot before games. Um, and there's a few fans of that. Um, you know, sometimes that's lunch at cricket too if we're playing a full day match. Um, so, yeah, and then there's a few big coffee drinkers and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, nothing too wacky. I mean, gone are the days when I was a kid that used to be like lasagna at lunchtime just before you go out on the ground. You just feel so sick having eaten that or something like that. Yeah, that's what I remember. I used to play when I used to play soccer and um, especially every now and then you just, there'd be some guy on the other team and it's half time and he's like having a cigarette. I'm like, gosh, <laughs> I must be in the wrong division here or there's something going on. Because that's just not on. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Um. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Peanut butter and uh, and bananas. That's always a winner. Even in CrossFit, it's like people always eating that. It's not- oh, it's just got got all the essentials, doesn't it? And it's um pretty dense from an energy requirement point of view. So, um, and it tastes good. It's easier to stomach when you feel a bit ner- nervous. So. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that that's the most essential thing is that it tastes amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. And then after after a game, you've been you've been bowling, you've been batting, you're a bit sore. What's the recovery look like? Um, yeah, my like my feelings on recovery have sort of evolved a lot over um, over time. Um, yeah, like obviously ice baths get spoken about a lot. Um, for me, unless it's a, a really hot day, and like I know that my internal sort of core temp has been really raised. Um, I actually, like, probably prefer not to do an ice bath. It, it normally leaves me feeling a little bit worse um, rather than, than better. But if it's been a really hot day, um, you know, they're always available at the ground. Um, I like to sort of just, um, after a game, really just sit in the, in the change room and take it all in, um, whether it's been good or bad, and, and not worry too much about, 
recovery practices and then once I get, you know, in the car on the way home or on the bus if we're on tour and then get back to my room or back home, that's probably where, you know, I like to have, have a bit of a stretch. Um, you know, when we're overseas or, you know, away, if the hotel's got like um, a pool or, or definitely a sauna, I'll jump in that because that always um, helps me sleep a little bit better and um, just feel a little bit um calmer and, and settled again um and then like definitely having having some food um that I enjoy before I go to bed um makes a big difference um and yeah pretty similar at home um and fortunately I've got a sauna at home too so I normally jump in that and um just decompress everything mm. yeah nice I've uh, heard saunas are pretty good <laughs> <laughs> that's cool and interesting about the ice bars, there seems to be a bit of a theme um, with yourself that you really are quite intuitive and listen to your body about what to eat or how to kind of recover. Um, is that something that you, I guess, focus on to really just tune in and see what you need instead of thinking? <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. It's definitely been a little bit of a um, deliberate, I guess, practice Um yeah, it's really easy, particularly as a um, elite athlete or you know professional athlete, to have a lot of information and theories or science, um, you know, thrown at you and, and given at you um, to to really like um, I guess help is is the main thing. But I think the thing is that there's sort of like this whole art element to sport too and, and individualization. And, um, so, you know, like probably when I was younger, those things, like I'd really pay a lot of attention to them and try and follow protocols to the T, um, you know, and that probably is the right thing at that age and, and really worked for me. But I think the older I've gotten, the more that I've sort of experienced things and been around, like you sort of, start realising um, and, and just picking up things that really work for you and then other things that probably um, aren't as effective and, and you really just use up a bit of time and energy trying to focus on getting done or um, put a bit too much emphasis on and then, you know, can cause anxiety or whatnot if you, if you can't do it the way that you wanted to. So, um, yeah, I think going back to just like really listening to yourself and, and trusting like the way that you feel um, about things as being the ultimate guide to, to what's best um, has really worked for me. And, yeah, that's certainly been influenced and informed over a period of time by trying lots of different things and having professionals help. But um, then, yeah, I guess now I'm at a stage where doing what what I feel really makes a difference is um, kind of where I put all my time and energy. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I totally relate to that too. Uh, I remember when I started getting healthy, I was, okay, here's a protocol. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get my morning routines right. So I'm going to get up and I'm going to meditate and then I'm going to have a sauna and then I'm going to go for a run. And then, and like, if one of those things falls down, it's like, ah, yeah, no, it's just, it ends up being quite stressful. However, I think through those experiences, you'd learn what's right for you and, and what kind of sits well and what doesn't sit well. It's, it's like, it's like reading, right? You, you might read, I don't know, 50 books a year or something, maybe it's 10, maybe it's 20. But from however, whatever you read, you, you take little things here and there. You know, you, you perhaps don't take on the full philosophy of what it is that the author is trying to say. Yeah. You implement those things and um, you kind of go about it like that. So I, 
I appreciate that. You you talked about um, you've mentioned a couple times about the, the art uh, in sport and balancing that with I guess the science and um, the strategy. Perhaps can you talk a little bit more about that and how you I guess flow that into um, your work essentially. Yeah. Um, well, I really like that word flow because I think, um, you know, it's got a few different meanings in sport, but like to me, like that kind of state where you're able to just like move intuitively and, um, you know, I guess use your body the way that it's telling you to and, um, and just feel like everything's smooth, smooth, sorry, and non-effort is, um, you know, is the ultimate goal, I guess, when, when you're an athlete, but, um, yeah, I think yeah, it's it's so so unique to everyone. Everyone moves a little bit differently. Um, everyone you know thinks very differently. Um, there's so many different ways of arriving at the same outcome in sport. Um, you know, and particularly in in sports like cricket or, or soccer, where there's a skill involved in. Um, in the game and and executing that with you know a ball or a bat or whatever it's not just um you know run 100 meters straight or you know do a a lap and um that kind of stuff so um yeah I, I think having that kind of idea of being informed and and sort of you know some of the basic principles of the sport and um you know some of the science and research and various things that have have been done for that um i think a a great informants of different directions to go but then the way that you actually adopt that to yourself is is um very much an art You, you know it's 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 not something that you can contextualize or or you know study and put down um in a textbook or a journal article with with um scientific figures behind it it's it's just a feel and um takes a long time and i think that changes over time too but um to me like when when you've got a really good balance of both those things that's when you're probably going in the right direction and um you see everything that's in front of you and you have a really great understanding of of your body and the game and um you can match match you know, I guess um, the way that you need to perform something or execute something to exactly what's in front of you in the task rather than, I guess, going back to um, rope-learned concepts or, or ideas. Yeah. I guess that's the beauty of sport, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Everyone does it differently. Um, you know, even in athletics when a 100 metres runner, like there's very different types of 100 metre runners if you break it down, like you know, a short, stocky guy that's explosive out of the blocks and then, you know, tries to hold on for dear life at the back end and, and, you know, and then someone like Usain Bolt who's maybe not as quick out of the blocks but just gathers speed as he goes. Um, yeah, even that is completely different game ta- um, sorry, game plan or tactical race and then completely different physical attributes and means of training. So, um, yeah, I really, I really like that about sports, what makes it so fascinating. Mm. Do you find it easier to get into that flow state when you're on on the ground to really just, you know, I think about it in terms of, um, you know, those four steps of learning, which I've talked about before. It's like un- unconsciously unconfident and then consciously uh, incompetent, sorry, consciously incompetent and then uh, consciously competent and then unconsciously competent. You get to that point where you're, you're just doing, you're just flowing. It's happening, you know, which generally takes a lot of time and experience. Um, yeah, do you, 
you find it easier to get into that state when you're on the ring? Yeah, I think you waver in and out of it. Um, you know, like even with various skills in the game, like you might master it for a while and everything's just working really well and you don't have to think about it and you can execute it. And then I know something sort of kinks into your game and it sort of unsettles that flow and then you've got to go back to the drawing board and, and work through that, you know, problem or that little technical um, deficiency that you've developed and iron that out and then sort of goes back into that, that flow state again. Um, and like, that's the, that's the beauty of it. It's also like maddening at times, but, um, but yeah, so it keeps you on your toes, I suppose. And, um, you know, on, on really rare days where it just all comes together and everything's moving perfectly across everything that you're trying to do. Um, yeah, they're the, they're the days that you savor a little bit more. Um, would you say you're a bit of a perfectionist, Elise? <laughs> uh, yeah, in things that I really care about, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I, I totally resonate with that too. It's like it can it can be better. It can be improved. Yeah. How do you, from my experience, when I'm like that with things, sometimes I've set myself up for perhaps disappointment or failure. How do you kind of handle those tougher times of, of defeat or loss or just not achieving what it is you'd set out to do? Yeah, um, well, I think, like, yeah, obviously, like, immediately those things completely, um, excuse my, my language, completely suck, like, you, and, and sort of just dealing with that initial emotion is, um, yeah, is always quite acute and um, not particularly enjoyable. But once you sort of through that phase, I think, um, you know, it, there's always, always opportunity and, um, you know, you learn a lot more often when, when you're not successful or you have a bit of a lesson handed to you because it makes you stop and, and realise, like, where you, you're sort of falling down a little bit or not quite going as well as you, you could be or where you can really improve and actually, you know, address something by spending more time and energy on it. Um, and, you know, ultimately I think, you know, in sport at least, um, those those times or those um, learnings always make you a better player down the down down the track. Um, and there's always something something down the track with sport. Like it, it doesn't just stop. Um, there's always another another goal or another competition or um, you know something else to look forward to. So you just got to keep charging forward with that stuff. I think. Yeah, it's having that perspective of um, there's always something else and. You know, maybe it brings up something in you that you're like, oh, I haven't quite addressed that. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you think back to any hard times where, yeah, maybe you've had some losses and how you've kind of come out of those and where your focus kind of went in those moments? Um, yeah, actually, I we, we lost a um, semi-final of a World Cup in um, 20... So when was it? 2015? 2016, um, you know, sorry, 2017 in um, in the UK. Um, and it's the first time our team hadn't made a final for a while and we're sort of favourites to um, to be successful in the, in the comp. And um, we just had a really poor day and the other team had a really great day. And um, a lot of it sort of came out that we're just a bit timid and, and not like um, – I suppose, aggressive enough in our style of play and um, asserting ourselves enough on the game. And, and that was certainly, you know, feeling that 
that I had um, in the way that, that I was playing, um, particularly batting. And um, it sort of, you know, forced us all to go away and, like, um, address that and, and figure out, like, both physically and, and mentally what the barriers were to, to actually, like, really asserting ourselves on on situations and, and being really front foot positive. So, um yeah, that's probably from a, a playing point of view that the biggest lesson, lesson that I've I've had and, and you know, um, really been able to use some disappointment to, um, to to go forward with stuff. But I think, like, you know, even on a smaller scale, like every time you get out in a cricket game, like there's a reason why you got out. Um, and so, like, looking at that and addressing that and training the next day is, like, you know, both, both like frustrating, but also like great because it gives you purpose and, it, and you know, the next time that you, you go into a game, someone's got to come up with something new because you've sort of combated that or, um, you yeah, know, whatever it may be. Mm. Mm. Did you find when you went out in 2017 onto the field that, uh, I remember, I remember sometimes going out to play a game of soccer and be before the game, you have a great warm-up, everyone's in the zone and like, yeah, this is the strategy. And then you go out onto the field and it's like, I don't know what happened, but something's different. And then it just kind of stays like that for the whole game. And then you look back and you're like, guys, like, <laughs> what happened? Was, yeah. it, was it that sort of experience? Um, yeah, I can't. To be honest with you, I have a complete distrust of warm-ups because I don't think they are at all reflective of um, of what happens in a game. Um, I do think I remember like sort of a few like different things leading into that match over the course of the week, where like we're just pretty flat um, at training, or there's just sort of like a few signs that we weren't maybe functioning as well as we could be, um, mainly on the field. Like there wasn't really any discontent or anything off the field but um just like a a sense of like not intentional complacency but just complacency and and not really like an edge to the way that we were doing things which I think you need at that level particularly in competitions um or tournaments where people are you know one slip and you kind of out because the opposition's always out to get you so um yeah that was that was probably what I I noticed and um I think the minute you sort of take the foot off the accelerator as a group, that's when you're, you're really susceptible to, to being beaten. Yeah. That's like life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier um, the idea of luck. Do you find luck plays a, a big part in your success and the team's success in sport? Um. No, I I think luck luck is always there. Um, it's just an element, um, and it's more so than what you do with that. So um, to me, like timing and luck are probably two things that you can't control too much, but you can absolutely control the opportunity that that presents and making the most of that. Um, and I think at some point everyone gets lucky, so to speak. Um, you know, in their chosen field, and it's just recognizing that opportunity and, and going with it with, you know, full steam ahead and, and making the absolute most of it and, and not sitting back and being passive about it that um, is the key part of it. Yeah, it's it's not what happens to us. It's how we act, you know, based on what happens to us, right? Yeah, for sure. I totally resonate with that. Um, what are some of the challenges that face women's uh, sport at the moment? Or is it all 
good news? <laughs> um, oh, look, by and large, it's a really positive, um, positive, I guess, industry to be a part of at the moment. And, um, and yeah, there's tremendous opportunity there. I think it's, it's growing incredibly fast. Um, it's sort of becoming more and more part of the public landscape and, and people are more cognizant of it and, and want to be a part of it, want to be fans, want to watch, want to come along to games. Um, more and more young girls want to play sport and be involved and um, I guess eventually aim to be a, a professional athlete. And um, I think the other thing that is such a great thing about it at the moment is that, that it's got such a positive contribution to society attached to it. Like I think by and large, um, Every story about women's sport is a really positive one. Um, you know, it's been presented really well and you come across so many genuine, I guess, um, un, choice of a better word, un, untainted athletes that really love what they're doing but haven't got caught in, like, the grind of being a bit of a professional bubble where they're always under scrutiny and and maybe a little bit distrusting of, of the media or the public. So, um it just sits in this really nice space at the moment and it's it's great to be a part of it. Um, but it's also, yeah, as I said, really exciting to know how much further down that path it can go of, of development and become even bigger and, and um, I guess, more impactful. Mm. Are, there, are there challenges, like, in terms of pathways from those green athletes, like you said, to be able to get into professional women's sport, you know, that perhaps... Um, men don't have to deal with or is that pretty even yeah I, I think that's really starting to dissipate now and like you sort of you just look at all the professional competitions that are, have now sprung up um, from AFLW to um, NRLW Aussie women's seven stuff um, you know obviously cricket and soccer um, hockey netball there's so many great avenues for for female athletes um that I don't think there's so many barriers as they used to be. And even at a, you know, a community or local level, um, you know, there's lots of all girls competitions now in various sports and um, a real emphasis by sporting organizations too, to uh, make sure that they're catering for 50% of the population. Cause I think, um, you know, they've realized how important that investment is um, for the future of the sport too. Mm. Do you feel like you have an important role in, in furthering that message? Um, yeah, I think, I think our team does feel like that a bit. I mean, in a way, like we're sort of the shop front for it. Um, and, um, so there, there's, um, yeah, it's, it's a really great part of the job really, to be fair. not that it's exactly a job, but like getting to meet young boys and girls when they come along to matches or at clinics or, um, yeah, knowing that, that they're watching the games or um, following specific players and, and teams and, and really enjoying it um, and it's adding to to their entertainment or to their lives is, is great. And I think that, you know, for us, it's just making sure that that's always a positive enhancement and um, hopefully, you know, it impacts more and more people being a part of it. Mm. Hopefully it doesn't um, add any additional pressure to you guys doing well. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, it's just a nice feeling and you always feel supported, which is great. Mm. Um, you guys are over in New Zealand at the moment. Um, tell me a little bit more about what that's for. And, uh. Yeah, sure. We've got a, just got a series against New Zealand, um, three T20 matches and, and three one-day internationals. And um, it's the first time we've played in, I think, 
as a, as a team for over 180 days or something like that. So it's been been a long time, um, you know, particularly during summer. Normally we're, we're playing pretty regularly, and um, we've had a number of, of tours cancelled and um, various various other things kind of happen, like every everyone has with COVID. So um, essentially, yeah, it was sort of like the. New Zealand was the um, only option we had to, to play a series against another international team. And um, so it's been been great to, to come over. We've had 14, well, 12 days so far of, of 14 in quarantine. Um, but, yeah, as we spoke about earlier, still being able to get out to, and train has been been a, um, yeah, a real saving grace. And um, then once we get out of here on on, uh, on the weekend, we play the next day up in Hamilton and um, – and then, yeah, that series sort of goes for the next two weeks or so. And um, and so, yeah, it's it's kind of nice and, and pretty exciting to, to be back and, and competing again. And how are you feeling about uh, where the team's at at the moment? Are you going to be competitive? Um, yeah, I, I think we will. We normally always like to be competitive. Um, in a lot of ways, it's been great prep for us um, because we've trained a lot and girls like really relish the opportunity to be out training and, and out doing something different. So that's been great. Um, you know, and I think just like always playing against Kiwis, it's a great battle. There's a, a proper good rivalry there. So, um, yeah, we'll make the most of that as well. <laughs> nice. Uh, what are the COVID protocols like? Do you need to get tested like all the time, given that you can't go out of quarantine and doing those things? Um, we've had four tests so I actually had the last one today hopefully um so yeah not too many we've got like a temperature check every morning um but only only four swabs um across the time and and just really strict with like wearing masks and uh, making sure that we social distance and we're away from from anyone who's not quarantining as well um it's really important so um yeah, I mean, actually, hopefully there's been a lot of chat because um, I've had a lot of time to listen to the news over here about the, the bubbles sort of starting up at some point soon between Australia and New Zealand um, both ways. And I think that'd be great for, for both countries. But, um, yeah, I mean, we've been really well looked after and, and relatively speaking, it's been a pretty easy uh, 12 days so far. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's been a, it's been a wrap. Yeah, I feel like there's only a certain amount of um, of swabs up the nose that one. Can <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's funny. Like we all compare every time because it's normally been a dis- different tester each time. Like, oh, they were a bit rough that time. They went really high, or actually, no, they were fine. That one didn't hurt. And you always brace yourself, though. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's an interesting experience. Um, that's the world we live in at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate that you've got uh, you've got some commitments, even though you're in quarantine. You've got <laughs> things to get to. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. If people want to learn more about you or, or, or follow you or just learn more about cricket, how can they do that? Um, sure. I've got um, social media, and it's just um, Adelise Perry across all different uh platforms um or a website just eliseperry.com so um yeah yeah please uh, reach out if you uh, feel feel the need awesome i think you're doing some amazing things well you definitely that, that goes without saying i don't need to repeat that you're doing some amazing things and um i think what you stand for in in the sport is uh, a really beautiful thing so um keep doing what you're doing um keep spreading the good message 
keep smiling and um, hopefully keep getting some Kiwis out over the next <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Alex. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes.